Hey everybody, you're listening to the Legacy Church Podcast. Legacy Church is a multi-generational church that exists to worship God, become like Jesus, and bring hope to our community. Today, we're sharing a message from our current series. We believe that the Word of God is powerful and has real-life application to our lives today. We hope that this message encourages you. Get connected and learn more about us by visiting our website at lgcy.church. As we dive into what the Bible says about our finances, I want you to understand something. And I want to take a few minutes here at the beginning before we talk about anything else. The devil has no new plans. He has no new plans. The same plans he had in the Bible are the same plans he has now. Let me prove it to you. Luke 8, 43 and 44. Now a woman having a flow of blood, well, what does this have to do with money? Just give me a moment. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any of them. She came from behind and touched the hem of Jesus's garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped. Can I tell you, the devil only has a two-pronged attack. That is sickness and poverty. Sickness and poverty. John 10, 10, the thief comes not, but to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come. Jesus has come that we what? Might have life. Might just have enough life? No, we have life abundantly. He doesn't want you to live a life of just enough. He wants you to live an abundant life, a joyful life, a happy life. The devil wants you to struggle through your entire life. He wants you to be destroyed. He wants you to be sick. He wants you to be depressed. He wants you to be in poverty and poor. He wants you to be defeated. But can I say the devil has sickness, but what does God have? God has health and healing. The devil wants you to be in poverty. God has provision and prosperity. Come on, we got to get this. We got to get this. You say, but wait a second. I thought Jesus was poor. There's a whole lot of people that believe Jesus was poor. Why? Well, because he grew up in a household of a carpenter. Well, can I tell you something? Joseph and Mary didn't have money. They didn't have much money. They didn't have wealth of any kind. But what happened? When Jesus came onto the scene, something happened that we often overlook. Something was given in that moment of Jesus' birth. Does anybody remember the story? Think back a few months ago as Christmas. Maybe you read the story. He was given gifts. What were those gifts? Can anybody remember? Gold, frankincense, not Frankenstein, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, if we understand the context of this time, those were three of the most prominent valued gifts in that moment. Three. Wasn't given one gift. It's gold, frankincense, and more. I believe it was frankincense was even highly, more highly valued than gold at the time. They actually estimate that those three gifts alone in today's current valuation would be worth at least $4 million. So was Jesus poor? No. Were Joseph and Mary poor? After they had Jesus? No. 
So let me tell you something. When you attach yourself to Jesus, come on, you got to get this. When you attach yourself to Jesus, there is blessing. When you're obedient and faithful to the things that God has called us to do, there is provision and blessing, not just enough. There is an abundance. Everybody say abundance. When you attach yourself to the plans and purposes of our great God and you are faithful and obedient, you will have everything that you will need and abundance. But we must shift our mindset. So was Jesus poor? No, he wasn't poor. Every village he went into, there was a place for him to stay. It was fully furnished. How did that happen? There was no Airbnb of the day. He had enough to send people and to go and to prepare a place. Jesus was not poor. So why is it that we in our own minds believe that we are to live a life of poverty? That we are supposed to live a life that Jesus didn't live. He was taken care of. So if he's taken care of, that means that you can be taken care of too. But there's something that we must do. We must shift our mindset. Last week, Pastor Rach started to talk, and she started talking in this series about our mind. She started talking about the mindset. And there is such a mindset, and I love Hamilton with everything inside of me, but there is a poverty mindset in this city that has to be broken. And if it's going to start, I believe it can start right here right now, today. Now, for some of us, as she began to ask last week, what do we trust? What is it that you trust? I've been going a lot to Shoppers Drug Mart to get some things as I went through a little bit of a sickness a few weeks ago. Every time I went to that Shoppers Drug Mart, there was about 10 people in front of me that were asking for lottery tickets. Can I have uh, the $10 scratcher, the $50 scratcher, the $5 scratcher? Can I get 17 lottery max tickets? Every time. And it wasn't just one person. It was like 10 people. See, for some of us, we trust the lottery more than we trust God. And can I tell you something? Statistics say that about, I think it's one out of every 10 million people will ever win. And you trust that statistic more than we trust God. Some of us, we trust our weekly paycheck. Maybe for some of us, it's a bi-weekly paycheck. Maybe for some of us, it's once a month. Maybe for some of us, we trust the stock market. Maybe for some of us, we trust the government because of the 17 kids we decided to have. But let me ask the question, what happens when everything becomes too expensive? We could very well see a time where everything can become unaffordable when we trust in the world system. But when we tend to get the mindset, when we get this mindset, when we're holding on to the mindset of the world system, it's easier to look and say, well, I think it would be a lot easier and a lot more affordable to move into cottage country. Mom and dad gave me a cottage. It's more affordable to go out into the boons where I can get a three-bedroom home for just under $10 million. That's more affordable than Hamilton. It's easier to say, oh, I, it looks so awesome in Texas. I can get, I can get a massive 3,000-square-foot home in Texas for what I can barely get an apartment here. 
Now, Pat, Pastor Brett, if you know Pastor Brett Esslinger, he, he and I have a running joke that has been going for about four years where we send each other listings in Texas. And all throughout COVID and all throughout all these things, we said, man, Texas is looking pretty good. And so still to this day, we send each other listings. And it's just a personal joke that we have with one another. Hey, why don't we start a Saints Legacy Church in Texas? But we tend to get this mindset. If I just moved away, if I just moved far away, groceries are becoming more expensive. Utilities are going up to astronomical prices. Gas prices are fluctuating between $1.50 and the price of jet fuel. The world's mindset has become, if I just take care of me and my four, I'll be okay. I've noticed all throughout the last four years that the idea of generosity has declined. And we tend to keep a tight fist for ourselves. We've gone from being generous to guarding our own kingdom. And then we wonder how we're going to make it. The question today is, who do you trust? What do you trust? See, as believers, we aren't supposed to trust the things of this world. Jeremiah 17, 7, it says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Does it say blessed is the one who trusts in the lottery system? Blessed is the one who trusts in the real estate market? Blessed is, no. It says blessed is the one who what? Trusts in the, and confidence is in him. See, we are supposed to trust our great God. Creator of the universe. See, we can read in Genesis that he created light. He created day and night. He created the sun. He created the earth. He created all the beings. But why is it that we can believe that he created everything, but he can't bless us? He owns everything. But for some reason, it's hard for us to believe that he will provide everything we need. Pastor Rach read this last week, Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what? Some of these things. That's, that's what it says, right? Some of these things. No, no, no. It says all. Everybody say all. All of these things shall be added to you. When we put him first, what does it say? That all of these things will be added. But the kingdom mindset, it's a mindset of generosity. Say generosity. I believe that God has called us as believers to live a blessed life, a blessed life, a life of abundance. But we cannot live a life of abundance in this ever increasing world if we don't trust him with what we have now. One of the biggest misconceptions when it comes to generosity is that it's an amount thing. One of the most extravagant gifts ever given. We, we see this with the woman that had the two mites, the woman with the two pennies. Does anybody remember her? The woman with the two pennies. There were all these prominent men and they were coming in. They were giving large amounts in that moment. They were making it rain in that offering. They were making it rain in that moment. But Jesus stopped them and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you see that woman? Do you see what she just did? She just gave the most extravagant gift. She just gave a gift, not from her abundance, but she gave it from her lack. 
And Jesus called that the most extravagant gift. He said it was extravagant. Matthew 25, 29. To those who use well what they are given, not what is coming, what they are given, which means it is in your possession, even more will be given. And they will have an uh, what? Abundance. But from those who do what? Nothing. Even what little they have will be taken away. In other words, if you do nothing with what you have, that is all you have. There is no multiplication. There is no addition. What you got is what you got if you do nothing with it. But I was always taught this. If what you have is not enough to meet your need, it's a seed. If it's not enough to pay the bills, then what is it for? It's a seed. It's an offering. I believe that everything that we currently have in our possession is a seed. Now, I was told a story recently of a friend, and they uh, the, attend this church, and they were telling me of a, of a moment in service where they really felt like they needed to, to give an offering and they didn't have much left in their bank account. I believe it was towards the end of the month. It was payday was coming up, but it was still some time off. And I, they told me there was about like $8 left in their account. And their wife said to them, please do not give this. We need milk and bread just to make it to the next day. We need milk and bread. And so this person said to me, he said, I faked like I was going to the bathroom, but I knew on the inside of me that I had to give that $8. And so I went back and I gave that $8 in faith, knowing and trusting in God that he would provide. Well, that next day came on Monday after the Sunday service, weren't able to get the milk and bread, but on that next day, unexpectedly, and I believe it was somewhere between three and $400 was deposited in their account from a source that was unexpected. When you give, even if it's a little, it's not about an amount, it's about an obedience, it's about a heart issue. When we are obedient to his word, when we are obedient to his instructions, we get access to a trust fund. That's what this series is. The trust fund. But I want you to get this as believers so that we can live a blessed life. See, I don't, love, I don't like seeing people struggle in this church. And I believe that God has given us and he's blessing us in certain ways so that we can continue to give out. We can continue to bless those in need. But here's what I don't like. I don't like to see God's people struggling. I don't like, I love that we're able to give out gift cards. I love that we're able to bless people who are struggling. But if you can get a hold of this principle, if you can get a hold of this mindset, if you can get a hold of this heart shift, that this will go farther than any gift card. And this will affect your marriage. This will affect your kids. This will affect your finances. That's a given. But it'll bless your family, your marriage, your relationship. It'll even bless your health. But this thing, this thing about this blessed life is not just about a blessed wallet or a blessed bank account. Because there are things that money can't buy. It doesn't matter what you have in your bank account if your heart is bankrupt. It doesn't matter how many zeros are following that first number if your heart is bankrupt. Matthew 6, 19 
through 21, it says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there, where will your what heart also be where your treasure is, your heart follows. In other words, your treasure is a tracking device of your heart. It's a GPS of where your heart really is. Wherever you put your money, that's where your heart will be. Let me prove it to you. Does anybody care what Apple stock is going to do tomorrow? Does anybody care what uh, Exxon gas is going to do tomorrow in the stock market? Does anybody care what the gold is going to do tomorrow in the market? Probably not. Why? Because you don't have anything invested in it. Your heart is not in it. But if you put money in Apple, what are you going to be doing? Checking that thing every 15 minutes. A while back, my wife gave me a little bit of money. I said, I want to try this stock market thing. I took that $500. It's a long time ago. I took it. I put it into a stock. I can tell you, I still track that stock today. And it's that $500. Guess what? It has bloomed into $80. (laughs) But guess what? I'm still checking it. Why? Because where your heart is, where you're invested, where your treasure is, that's what you follow. But when you don't have anything in it, when you don't care about it, You don't care if it fails or succeeds. Some of us, we check our bank account more than we check on our own kids. And you only get paid twice a month. But you're checking it every hour. Checking it every few minutes. You go out, you check it. You come back, you check it. That's because where our treasure is, our heart is. You want your heart in the kingdom of God, you got to put your treasure there. Now, we sing these songs and we cannot say, you know, and sing that God has our heart if he doesn't have our treasure. Now, there's an old hymn. And I know, uh, believe me, I understand it's tight right now. I understand what is happening. But we sing this old hymn. I surrender all. I surrender all. But my bank account, all to him. I surrender all, but my 401k, I surrender all. See, we sing these songs, but we don't actually sing. We don't actually trust in the surrender. God, you can have everything, but you can't have my bank account. God, you can have everything, but my wallet, uh-uh, I left it in the car so that I cannot give today. Because I know that you're coming after me. You say, well, maybe that song's a little old for you. There's a song that Hillsong United wrote called Whole Heart. It says, here I am down on my knees again, surrendering all, surrendering all. But TD and CIBC and BMO, we're not surrendering those. But here I am down on my knees again. We can't sing it if our treasure is not there. If he gets your heart, it's just a start for what he can do. When he gets your heart, it will flow to the rest of you. 
Come on, how many understand what the heart is? It's a pump that flows to the rest of who we are. If God gets your heart, he can change your habits. Now, the church has said this for years. Well, when you come to church, you must change your habits. You need to stop smoking, stop drinking, stop sleeping around. And we say that, and that's all good, but that only lasts for a while. Why? Because your heart is not transformed. You can go and change your habits. You can go and change these things. But if God doesn't get this, it's not going to last. When God truly gets your heart, he can change your habits. But if God gets your wallet, he has your heart. I know I'm preaching good today. I can hear the angels in heaven shouting me down. Well, Pastor Matt, where do I start? It's a simple principle, and I'm not going to dive very deep into it today. Pastor Rach is going to dive into it more next week. There's a simple principle in the Bible called a tithe. Everybody say, a tithe. What is a tithe? A tithe is 10%. Why is it a percentage? Well, because we all make different amounts of money. If God just said, oh, well, it's $1,000, that wouldn't be fair for someone that doesn't make more than $1,000. So it's a percentage. Why? Because it's more fair that way. But tithing is giving back to God what is already his. See, what he's given us, what he's blessed us with was his, and it is his. So when he's asking for a tithe, when we're talking about this principle, he's saying, all I'm asking for in return, I've given you the gift. I've given you the job. I've given you the career. I've given you the blessing. I've brought, I am your source, your provider. All I'm asking is that I have your heart. All I'm asking for is 10 10%. Is that okay? Is that okay? Now, shoot. I just realized, now here we're talking about money, and I forgot my wallet today. Uh, I have my son, London, and I realized that there's no food at home, and I need to take him to McDonald's. I don't know if someone could help me out today, if that's okay. Could someone just help me out real quick? Is that all right? Oh, Phil? Okay. Thanks, Phil. $20 is perfect. I can get one ha hamburger with that. Thank you, Phil. Now, why was it so easy for Phil to bring that so quickly? Well, because he loves me, but why was it so easy for you to bring it to me, Phil? I gave it to him before service. I literally gave it to him 25 minutes ago. That's why it was so easy to bring it. The thing was, is he didn't have it in his possession long enough for him to recognize that it was his. Because I had just given it to him, he said, well, okay. Now he could have held on to it. But in this moment, he said, here, here you go. You literally just gave it to me. I'm going to give it back to you. But because he returned it, because he was obedient, because he gave it first, he didn't hold on to it long enough to, for it to get mixed in with everything else, for it to go into his bag. He just he said, okay, I'm going to give it back to you. See, this principle of tithing, it's very simple to understand, but for a lot of us, it's very hard to follow. 
And because he returned it, because he was obedient, because he said, okay, well, I'm going to give it back to you. He's going to get blessed today. Now, I know I asked him to do this, but he doesn't know this. Because he gave me the $20, I'm going to bless his family with $200 to go and buy groceries this week. So, Phil, here you go. Because of your obedience, because of your faithfulness, because you returned to God what was already his when he asked, you're blessed. But this is how it works. See, when we return to God what is already his, and all he's asking, he's not asking for 100%. He's asking for 10. That's all he's asking for. See, tithing is an opportunity to declare what means the most to us and what we consider most important. Because tithing is not about an amount. It's an indicator of who we trust in. We don't trust in the paycheck. We don't trust in the market. We trust in God. It's a barometer for our heart to see if we trust God with what he has given us. Now, I will say this, and I've been tithing since I had money of any kind. So you can say, well, Pastor Matt, I'm sure it's easy for you. You've been doing it for 36 years. That means I've been giving since I was two. Three, actually, if you want to do the math. But sure, it is hard at first. Sure, it is hard because it requires faith to give first before anything else. That's why we spend so much time talking about faith. Because if you don't understand faith, then it's hard to give because you need faith to give first. Robert Morris says this, and he is a pastor, and he has an incredible book that if you would like to read and expand on the idea of the blessed life a little bit more, and we've drawn some material from this book, but he has a book called The Blessed Life, and he is a pastor in Dallas, Texas, and God has put this on his heart to share with the church. But he says this, anything given first is never lost, but anything, any first thing not given is always lost. Let me say that again because I don't think you got it. Anything given first, the first fruits, the tithe is supposed to be first before bills come out, before anything else. That's the principle of it. Anything given first is never lost. And any first thing not given is always lost. See, this is why it's so hard and so difficult for many Christians to never experience the blessed life. To never experience the blessing of tithing. Because it's difficult to release something not knowing, am I going to make it? It's difficult to release it for sure. It's okay. Okay, we pay all the bills. Hydro's taken care of. Gas payment. Mortgage is taken care of. Okay, if there's anything left, I'm going to give. That's easy. That's easy. But it requires faith to give first. But when you see God provide time and time and time again, how can we not trust him? Can I tell you something? 90% with God is more sufficient than 100% on our own. Always. 90% with God will always be better. It will always be more than 100% on our own. 
See, the government doesn't give you a choice before they take what they are supposed to take, right? Do they call you and say, hey, I'm going to take this. Is this okay if I take this now? It's okay if I take this deduction. So is it okay if I, uh, they they don't ask. You don't see that money. Maybe you see it around tax time. I don't know. You don't see that money. They just take it. They take it before it even gets to you. The thing about God is it can't be love if it's not a choice. God will never take your finances. He wants us to willingly give it. So let me ask this question. How is your heart? How is your heart today? Some of us, our heart sits right here. This is our heart right here. This is where we put our treasure. Maybe you went back during tax season, you went back and you tracked all your Uber Eats and you put it, maybe you're like my wife, you put it on a spreadsheet. This is what went to Uber Eats. This is what went to God. This is what went to uh, Justin Trudeau. Maybe you looked at that balance sheet and your Uber Eats was actually more than what you gave to God. For some of us, this is our heart. Right down in here. For a lot of us, our hearts are under attack. And if you've been taking notes for the last 30 minutes and 17 seconds, the title of my message is called Heart Attack. Because in our lives, in our generosity, in our finances, in this walk that we're on, our heart is under attack. Things have not been able to flow as though they have, are supposed to. Now, I don't take this lightly. My own grandfather has had many heart attacks, and I know some people have lost people to heart attacks, so I don't take this lightly. I do want to say that. But statistics show that one out of four people will have heart attacks this year. Now, if you know anything, and I don't want to give you a lesson, but we have blood in our body that flows through all these veins, through all these channels, and it is pumped from the heart. But what happens is, and and what happens in these moments is there's blood and different things, or there's fats and different things that can get in these arteries that can slow or stop the flow. And when that flow has stopped or when that flow has slowed, maybe for some of us it's wrong thinking. Maybe for some of us it's wrong thoughts. Maybe for some of us the clogs in that area are the things that are stopping the flow. See, it's in those moments, it's in those areas where the flow stops or where the flow is slowed that there's an area of the heart that dies and the functions of the heart stop for those moments. See, there's a blockage of the flow that keeps us alive. There's a blockage of the flow in our lives that keeps us alive. Now, the heart may not be the biggest organ in the body, but it is one of the most important organs in the body. And we must recognize that. Could it be that when our generosity stops flowing, our grace for people stops flowing? Could it be that when our generosity stops flowing, our ability to have self-control stops flowing? 
Because I believe that generosity is the linchpin to everything we see in the kingdom of God. There needs to be a flow. There needs to be a flow of giving. There needs to be a flow of generosity. What can block that flow? I just want to give you a few quick things. What can block that flow? Let's look at a principle here in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 15, 7 and 8. If there are any among you, a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand. Can I just pause for a moment here? And this is a whole different thing, but a hard heart usually is connected to a closed hand. A soft heart means an open hand. It says, from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need. Whatever he needs. Now we have to understand in this moment that the children of Israel have just walked through the season and are walking through a season. And God is saying in this moment, don't get fooled. Don't get fooled. You just came out of slavery. You're not yet where you're going, but you're not where you have been. He's telling them, I don't want you in this process of the destination to get stingy. Now, I've heard this a lot in my life growing up as a pastor's son. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the excuses and a lot of the things that, that people tend to give. Well, when I get enough, when I get blessed, when I win that $10 million lottery, the church will have everything that it needs. See, I love the heart of that. But what are you doing with what you got right now? It's backwards thinking to the kingdom. Because when you don't give out of what you have, you're stopping your more than enough. Because of how you're handling your just enough. So he's telling the children of Israel here, if your brother comes to you and he said, maybe he had bad crops, maybe he had a bad yield in this last harvest and he needs help getting out of this situation, don't refuse him. Now we have to understand that the context of this in this moment, that around this time, God had instituted an economic system that every seven years, the debt would be canceled. Come on, how many would love a seven-year debt cancellation? Amen. God, if you could bring that back, that would be great. Well, he's saying, if your brother comes to you and asks, right before this moment, see, some of us, if our brother asks, well, well, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, we're almost to seven. I, I, I don't, if I, if I lend to you, I don't know. If I lend to you now, I, I don't think you're ever going to pay it back. Because we're so, we're so close to the kids. I'm going to have to forgive this and I'm not, it's going to be on me. He's saying, don't do that because it's selfish. He's saying, don't do that. He's saying, I don't want you to be worried about giving it because I am the one who's giving it to you. Now, in this moment, this was probably a, more of a test for the man who was giving it than the man who was asking for it. Because there was a trust that had to be had. One area that can block the flow 
If you're taking notes, write this down. We must deal with a selfish heart. A selfish heart can block the flow. Deuteronomy 15.9 says, Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he is crying out loud to the Lord against you, but it becomes sin among you. Notice, selfishness is wickedness in God's eyes and becomes sin. Don't be selfish. Don't be selfish in these moments. Don't be selfish in this season. I know it's hard to think about you, your kingdom, your four and no more. But God is asking for you to trust him. Why did God create giving? Did he create it for him? Did God create giving for him? I mean, can heaven not pay its light bill? Come on. Did God create? Wait a second. Did God create giving for him? No. God created giving for us. Why? He didn't create giving for his sake. He created giving for our sake because giving is the number one thing that works out selfishness and greed out of our hearts. Giving and generosity is the number one thing that can work out that selfishness, that can work out that greed, that can work out me and no, me, my four and no more is giving. How many know though when you give, selfishness always rears its head in that moment? How many know that? Well, I just, you know, you got this, this, and this bill's coming up and you know, this extra $300, this extra $30, this extra, what? I don't know, it's gonna be close. Maybe I should hold on to it. I don't know if I'm gonna make it. See, your heart is challenged when it has to give something. Now, we understand that because we were born selfish. If you have a younger child who is just learning to talk, one of the first words they learn to speak is probably not mama or dada. It's mine. See, we're born selfish. We're born in this manner. But generosity is what works out the selfishness and the greed out of our heart. See, I would challenge us today to be the ones who don't hold back from God. Again, this isn't about us getting more money. If I could make that abundantly clear to you. This isn't about the church padding its pocketbooks. I believe in this wholeheartedly that if you get this as a child of God, that you will not struggle. That if you hold on to this principle, if you live and flourish in this principle, that we don't have to worry about what's going on outside in this world. We don't have to worry about the stock market. We don't have to worry about a recession. We don't have to. But if we get this, that we are the ones that say, God, whenever, whatever I have, I give to you. You say, well, Pastor Matt, it sounds, you know, Sounds like you're okay. Hey, I'm living this just like everybody else. I'm living this just like everybody else. We must deal with a selfish heart. Number two, we must deal with a doubting heart. Everybody say a doubting heart. 
Continuing verse 10, you shall surely give to him and your heart should not be grieved. We could say a grieving heart, but I'm going to say a doubting heart. Because when you give to him, because of the, for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. Now, what we have to understand, and obedience is not what somebody else does with it. Obedience is what happens when we're giving. Obedience is not what somebody else does with it. We can look out and we can see, you know, our city is full of homeless people and, and we love them and are helping them in whatever way we have the capacity to do. But we can stop on the street corner at the red light and we can see and we can think to ourselves, well, if I give them something, what are they going to do with it? Well, they're probably just going to go and get drunk. But if I, if I, maybe, maybe I take them to McDonald's. See, I've offered to take people to McDonald's so many times. I've offered to take them to get food so many times when they say they're hungry. They, they reject it. Now, not all the time. I'm not trying to, you know. But most of the time, what they're asking for is something. It doesn't matter what they use it for. What matters is our obedience. It's our obedience. It's about what we do with what he gave us. See, God is asking us to be a conduit of generosity. Now, how many know once you give something outside of your comfort zone, once you give something outside of your control, that something always happens to make you want to doubt? How many know when you give something and, you know, God put it on your heart to give that amount that your car breaks down? That just randomly something took money out of your bank account. You're like, I don't even, why am I subscribed to that? <laughs> How many know every time we give out of our comfort zone that something always happens to make us doubt it? Selfishness tries to attack us. Doubt, well, here's what's interesting. Selfishness tries to attack us before we give it, and doubt attacks us after we give it. Pastor Robert Morris, and I want to tell this story because I thought it was so important. I'm, I'm wrapping up because you can only hold your butt cheeks for so long. I love this story in this book, The Blessed Life, and Pastor Robert Morse has incredible stories of generosity and what God has taught him. And I believe that God has revealed to him quite a revelation about the blessed life and, and teaching that to the church in general. But he told this story that God had called him and his wife uh, they were traveling ministers at this point, and I believe at this now they're pastors of one of the largest churches in all of Dallas. I think they have close to 25,000 members. Everything's bigger in Texas. Um, but God, God in prayer, God spoke to them and said, I want you to give your house away. That's a pretty big ask, right? Well, God wasn't done. He said, I want you to give your two cars away too. Also a pretty, like, come on, God, are you gonna leave me with anything? He said, actually, no, I want you to give everything in all your bank accounts away. 
Could you imagine the level of faith that that takes to say, no, nah, God, I'm, nah, I'm good. So he, he, they made it up in their mind that they were going to give their house away. They had already you know, been praying about the couple that they were going to give it to. They prayed about who they were supposed to give the cars to. And then they prayed where they were supposed to give all of their money out of their bank accounts. And it was in that moment that he began to doubt. Come on, you would doubt just give God. I just, you asked me for $200. Come on, no, God, come on. My house, my cars, my bank account, my everything. And so he began to doubt God. There's, I don't know what you're going to do. Like I've, I've given away cars before and I've seen you give me cars back, but you, there's no way that you can match me this time. And so it was right in that moment where he was sitting in his house that he no longer believed was his because he had already made up his mind that he had given it away. Given the cars away. And the only per people that knew about the cars were the people that they gave it to and themselves. And he got a phone call in that moment as he was sitting there doubting. He got a phone call in that moment and he picked up the phone. And the man on the other end of the phone said, hey, you know, I was just praying and God wanted me to take care of your transportation. He's like, oh man. He's like, man, I, God, you came through. You know, I've given cars away and you've given me cars back. He's like, what a blessing. At least he took care of my car. But he had an, he's like, but he's like, could you please just tell me? And he's thinking in his mind and he's doubting in his mind in this moment. He's like, but I gave away a house and I gave away two cars and I cleaned out my bank account, but I just, I got a car. <laughs> and he's doubting in that moment. And he asked this man on the other end of the phone, he said, could you please tell me exactly what God put on your heart to do? And so the, the man on the other end of the phone and him thinking, well, I thought, yeah, you know, I'm going to drive this car over. He's thinking this. He said, no, no, he said, uh, so God wanted me to take care of your transportation, so he told me to buy you a plane. But not only did he tell me to buy you a plane, and I, and I bought it, and it's on your way to the airport. It's on, it's on the way to your airport near your house. But also God told me to take care of the hangar where it's supposed to be parked, so that's paid for. Not only that, God told me to take care of the fuel. Whenever you need it, it's paid for and taken care of. Now, he's a traveling minister at this time. He just gave away his house. He just gave away his, he cleaned out his bank accounts. He said, oh, wait, wait, wait a second. Not only that, I've taken care of all the insurance, so it's already covered and paid for. But also, I've hired a pilot. And his salary is completely taken care of and paid for. He said, so I just want you to know that your transportation is taken care for. When we give, don't tell me God can't do it. But the key is, is we got to take care of this heart. Can't be a selfish heart. Can't be a doubting heart. Don't tell me God can't do it. But in order to get the flow right, we must deal with this doubting heart. So we must get a new flow. Linda, you can come. Just so people loosen up a little bit. We must get a new flow very quickly. 
I believe when we get this, generosity, when we get this, that what comes to us doesn't stay with us. We stop becoming a dam that is storing up and that we actually become a river that controls the flow. Can you picture that? If you've seen a dam before, it just stores up. It's just sitting there. It's just stagnant a lot of times. And what you got is what you got. But when you're a river, you're a conduit to a flow that is so much greater. I believe that when we get this, that we're going to become a river and not a dam. That we're going to be conduits of his blessing. Not to hold on to it, but to redirect it. Oh, Phil, taking care of groceries this week. Oh, Jordan, I got you. Oh, Megan, I heard about this. I'm going to help you. That we are to be conduits of his blessing. But in order for this to happen, we must develop a generous heart. Continuing on, verse 14, you shall supply him liberally. Not just enough, liberally. From what? From the church? No, from your flock. From your flesh threshing floor. From your wine press. From what the Lord your God has blessed you with. You shall give him. I understand in a season where we need every, this is a season where we need every dollar the most. We wish they would bring back pennies because it would be helpful. We need to trust him. Get rid of the selfishness, the selfish heart, the doubting heart, and form a generous heart. We can clean the arteries of the flow that has been slowed or stopped. But in order to do that, not only do we have to have a generous heart, we must have a grateful heart. Verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God, what? Redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. What is that command? Be generous. Be generous. Don't be a dam. Be a river. Be generous. Everything we have came from him. When things get tight in the budget, look back what he brought you through. Look back at the last time he blessed you. Look back at the moment and what you came through. When things have gotten tough for me, all medical expenses and things that are out of my control, what do I do? God, I thank you. I thank you that I have a roof over my head. Thanks for listening. To hear more, subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on our website at lgcy.church.